All right, so good morning, everybody. Um, given that we haven't met in the last week or two, I thought we should first start out with a quick review to just remind us of who we were. The last time what we had done was we said that there were there were many people who uh, came to Israel in, the, in those days of the Chazal, and they came for a variety of different reasons. They didn't simply come uh, to make Aliyah. Sometimes they ran away from, sometimes they went, ran away from uh, uh, terrible times that they were facing, like the example of Rav Kahana, who was sentenced to death for having killed uh, a miser. But there was certainly a, a two-way highway that was going back and forth from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael. There were people who would go to Bavel, like, for example, Rav, and there were people who would go from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael. That's what we said, number one, which sounds like then, therefore, that there was no concern within Chazal, except for, again, as we pointed out, Rav Yehuda, who said that the same way that it's Aser to be leaving Eretz Yisrael to go to Shah say so too is Aser to go to Bavel, to leave Bavel and go to other lands. The question was whether or not that included Eretz Yisrael or not. We said according to Rabbi Huda, it obviously did, but if Rabbi Huda was based upon the statement of Shmuel, then the statement of Shmuel did not have to be read that way because that's not what Shmuel said. Shmuel said that Shmuel said that that um, it was just in relation to Sha'ar Aratzes. He didn't use the term Eretz Yisrael, whereas Rabbi Huda certainly did. We saw most people clearly didn't concern themselves with the position of Rabbi Huda. And we explain different reasons as to why not. We also explain the position of the Rambam, who seems to be quoting the language of Rabbi Huda with the, I'm sorry, the, the, the language of, of Rabbi Huda in the name of Shmuel, but with the Pasuk brought down by Rabbi Huda. And we want to know if the Rambam held, we said, the Chutzlaret is, is doing a terrible thing, and say similarly, that's true by Bavel, is that including Eretz Yisrael? If you leave Bavel even to go to Eretz Yisrael, that's just Bavel leaving Bavel to go to other lands. And that we said, that although there is certainly the cast of Mishnah, and those who say maybe it includes Eretz Yisrael, that's not the simple understanding of the Rambam, because he should have then said, in all the other places that he deals with this issue, like for example, if a woman wants to force a man, or a man wants to force a woman, or a servant's going to force the Master to make Aliyah. But that's true all throughout the world, but it's not true if you're going from Bavel to Eretz There, the husband or the wife shouldn't be able to force each other. The servant should be able to force the master because over there, there's a problem. Now, let her leave Bavel to go to Eretz If you really held like Rabbi Huda, that Rabbi Huda was the halacha. No, rather, Rabbi Huda, the Pasuk of Rabbi Huda is being utilized with the formulation of Rabbi Huda in the name of Shmuel, but it does not include Eretz Yisrael. Then, we also discussed the building of homes in the diaspora. We talked about the Sefer HaMaknan, the idea being that if you want to say that you are an Aynas, that you can't move to Eretz so you have to act like an Aynas. You can't say, oh, uh, uh, it's an Aynas, but you didn't actually try. You only get the din of an Aynas if you actually attempted to do something. Okay, that thing didn't work out for you. Never. So you have a din of Aynas. But to say you're a, you're an Aynas, 
while you've never even attempted to make a go of it, that doesn't really, uh, frankly, hold any water. And we talked about the Shlah this week, for those who are on Friday night, I put in a copy of the Shlah's front piece in his Sefer, to show the square Luchais that they did, and that was the topic that we discussed then. So the Shlah, in his days, had made Aliyah, in his famous work, which was really written as a sort of a very long ethical will to his family, he writes over there decrying the fact that people are building these very large homes, palatial homes with many towers in the diaspora. Presumably he means in Prague, where he was the chief rabbi, maybe other places. And he says it's a terrible thing, but he then concludes, but if you use your home for Tyra and Fila, if you use it for meditation, it's then that's certainly okay. We also discussed the Chassam Sefer. Chassam Sefer, who said that people are building homes in his day in Pressburg, right, which is the capital of Slovakia, right? So Prague is the capital of the Czech Republic, now known as Czechia, and Pressburg, now known as Bratislava, is the capital of Slovakia. And, and the Chassam Sefer says those people are building such homes their mamas being misyayesh menagula. They're as though they're not having any hope. They've given up on the redemption taking place. But he himself says at the end of his shuva, where, where he starts out decrying this phenomenon, ends up concluding and saying, nevertheless, what's clear is that that's only true if it's done if there's no needs for it. But if there is a need for this, and these days we have a lot of needs. The gullus is long, we have a lot of needs. So therefore he says we shouldn't be mocked with so much on this. And therefore you should be mechanach your house with Torah and Tzvilah and thereby it'll be okay. We also discussed one last one, which I got into a little bit last time. Uh, is the difference between the Bavlin and, and uh, the Medrash Rabbah on this. Beishlakish was very against the Babylonians because he felt that they had caused the redemption not really to be strong. Second bias was never as strong. Why? He said because the Babylonians didn't really make Aliyah. They were too comfortable. They had built themselves nice homes. The Pasuk tells them, and build yourself homes and and plant vineyards and have fields, etc. And they didn't really make Aliyah. So the Gemara says the Rishlagish wouldn't deal with the Babylonians. But Rabbi Yechanan tells him, you're wrong. You're wrong, Rishlagish. Even if they would have been which we know, right, that's a code word, right, one of the Shoshwas. Even if they would have been they would not have been able to make the second base Hamikdash be stronger. It says the second base Hamikdash was doomed from the start. And the Medrash Rabbah, we have a different, different approach. Both of whom, Rabbi Yechon and Reish Lakish, are against the Babylonians for not having attempted to make a stronger and more powerful Aliyah. That is a review of the last week. And now I'd like to move on. All right. So I said that today the topic would focus on the approach of the Shuas as understood through the generations. So the first place to start before we get into the Marals and um, and the Sham Shavol Hirsch's and the Satmaravs and all the other, you know, sort of very fascinating 
uh, approaches over the years is really to start with Chazal itself. As I said before, if you look at the Mishnah, if you look at the Gemara in the end of, of Subas, you see two versions of the Shavuot. On the one hand, you see three Shavuot. On the other hand, you see six Shavuot. So which is it? So we said, not clear 100%, but that's not, not the only two approaches with the Chazal. With the Chazal, you find other approaches as to the amount of the Shavuot. So I'd like to start today with the Medrash that appears in Shir Shir. The Medrash Rabbah there says two approaches. First approach is Abiyasi Bar Chanina. Abiyasi Bar Chanina says, Shtei Shvois Yeshkan. There are two Shvois. What are the two Shvois that he holds of? Achas Liyisrov, Achas Lumashaylam. One is for the Jewish people and one is for the nations. Nishbal Yisrov Shalimudu Amalchias. The Shvo for the Jewish people is that they shouldn't rebel against the nations. The Nishbal Amalchias Shalikshwa Yisrov Shim, that the nations shouldn't be Mishtabad Yisrov the Jewish people too much. They shouldn't um, be injurious to the Jewish people in terms of the way they're being Meshavit us in the Gauls. Because if they cause us too much pain and suffering, then they exile and hang garment locates lovers by Nasser. Then they're going to cause the redemption to come and not its proper time. So two Shavuos, one for the Jewish people that we shouldn't be married, we shouldn't rebel. The other on the nations that they shouldn't imishtabed us too much. Now for the Gemara, in the end of Subas, where it said, we only saw that what? That it's like HaKadosh Baruch is protecting the Jewish people. That the nations were jured not to be imishtabed us too much. Why? As a benefit for us. They shouldn't be hurt too much. But that's not the reading in this mission in this Medrash Rabbah. The reading in this Medrash Rabbah is that the, the, the Shvua to the Umais was why? So that the Umais shouldn't be too difficult with us in the exile, which would thereby cause the Gauls to be ended prematurely. It's a different look, right? It's a different look than the Gemara and the end of Subas on this Shvua. But what I want to show from here is that here's this two Shvuas. No three, no six, new number, two. That's one. Second approach is Rabbi Chelbay. Rabbi Chelbay says, There's four Shavuos. So now we've got two, three, four, and six. Okay, I'll show you one also. I haven't found the five yet. All right, so Rabbi Chelbay says, There are four Shavuos. You shouldn't rebel against the kingdoms. You shouldn't push the redemption. Right? These are all the ones that we heard, but they're not in the same ones, right? This is one from the first, the three set, one from the six set, right? So, so different, different parts, but this is what he's including in his four. You shouldn't reveal the secrets, which presumably is the secrets in terms of the redemption to the nations. It shouldn't go up like a wall. Right, so these are the four shvuas, which are from the six that we've already mentioned in the tzubas. So continues on the medrashim. So why is why is the Messiah in fact coming? says. Rabbi Anya adds that these four shvuas that Rabbi Chelba just mentioned 
they are connected the four times that the Jewish people attempted to go against God's wishes and were doichik the kates and caused us to sin, to fall, to stumble. What are the four times, says the Medrash? Ve'elohein, echav yimei amam, ve'echav yimei dinai, ve'echav yimei kuziba, ve'echav yimei shusalak ben Ephraim. Now, I have to admit, I don't know what the um, what the bimei amram is. I'm not sure what the what the attempt of the Jewish people during the days of Amram, presumably Moshe Rabbeinu's father, to to end the the Gullus early. I'm not sure. I'm not the only one. The Marzu also says he doesn't know. So, and I haven't found anybody who does know. If anybody knows, let me know. Um, so I'm not 100 sure. The, the situation of Shusach ben Ephraim is an interesting one. I think what it's referring to is the, is the situation that during the days of the Golos, Mitzrayim, before Moshe Rabbeinu came, the Bnei Ephraim decided they had enough. And they went up to the land of Israel and they got smothered. They got blasted to smithereens by the Philistim. And this is where the Valley of the Dry Bones, the famous prophecy, the Nebuah from Yechezko comes about, was because the, the days of the Gauls Mitzrayim, before Moshe Rabbeinu, there were B'nai Ephraim decided they're going to make a go of it. I'm not sure if um, if that's in fact uh, the same then as the Bimei Amram. I don't know. It could have used another example, and I don't know why it doesn't use the example. It's the example of the Ma'apilam. Right? You remember the example of the Ma'apilam? Uh, what happened was the Jewish people had just sinned by the Miraglim. Now they were punished. They're going to have to stay for 40 years in the desert. But the Ma'apilim decided that, no, 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 they're not staying. They're ready to do it now. And they got punished. They all died. I don't know. They don't use that example. The other two examples of, of, of Bar Kechba, we all know, right? Bar Kechba led the rebellion against the Romans in the years 130 to 132. It was very successful. An incredible warrior. The Gemara tells us, Yerushalmi tells us in Tainus that Bakesh was such an amazing warrior that in order to get on his army, you had to bite off your thumb. You had to bite off your thumb. You had to mutilate yourself, which I guess both showed your your you know, lack of ability to get scared for anything, your ability to handle massive pain, and and you know presumably was a big indicator that you would be a great warrior. And the rabbis told them, like, it's a terrible thing, you're having a mutilated army, like, what are you doing? So he ended up, he had a new testing where it says that he had to rip out a tree, a young tree out of the ground, a young sapling out of the ground. So Rakech had a very strong army. Uh, in the end, the, the Romans, Hadrian was very, some say Hadrian wasn't so against the Jewish people as we, as we like to think today, I don't know. Um, I'm not 100% clear, but but uh, in the end, Hadrian, of course, um, had enough. They put down the, the Jewish rebellion, the Jewish revolt, and, and they literally plowed um, Betar over. The rabbi standing more in the end of Tainus and the Bavli says that we have a bracha on the fact that eventually the blood in Betar receded that something took like seven years, like some crazy time. That's how many people, hundreds of thousands of people were killed. That's the point that the Gemara is trying to make, uh, get across. 
The other example of Ben Dinai is an interesting example that the Medrash is bringing up. Who was Ben Dinai? Ben Dinai, we know about him because of the mission of the end of Saita. The mission of the end of Saita tells us that in the days of Ben Dinai, they stopped doing Egla Rufa. Right? The mission of the end of Saita is a, is a great mission to talk about the Eredus Hadaris. Right? And you look at each one, like the terrible things that happened as we lost different people. So one of them is Ben Dinai. So after Ben Dinai, we stopped doing Egla Rufa. Why? Because he was such a murderer. He was such a robber. He was killing so many people. So you found the corpse lying and you don't know who, what happened. You're not going to any longer, the Egla Rufa is not, a, is not something that's going to work anymore in a day when everybody is responsible for murder. And there's so much, you know, uh, death. And destruction happening around Ben Dinai seems to have been a Jewish person. Um, so why are we talking about Ben Dinai over here in the Medrash? It's an interesting question, right? The Medrash is saying the days of Ben Dinai. We only know about Ben Dinai from this Mishnah insight. But the answer is we do not have a couple of other places where we see about Ben Dinai. One is that we know that there's an oven about a Ben Dinai, Ben Dinai oven. The Mishnah camp talks about also the Marbabatia. But what was the oven of Ben Dinai? It was a very special oven for robbers. It could be put together so quickly and you could cook on it because robbers, they can't wait a long time to make an oven. They have to have a quick oven. This was like, you know, not microwavable cooking, but a way to put an oven together on the fly and you could take it apart, presumably, put it back together easy. So questions about Tuma, et cetera, about it. So that's the oven of Ben Dinai. Not to be confused with the Michael of Ben Drusai, which we've talked about before in the beginning, maybe many weeks ago. I think Martin Shabbos tells us about that Chalant, right, comes from Michael Ben So it was also, you know, a robber. He also had to eat, but in his case, not the oven. He had to eat when things were raw, like sushi, sashimi, right? He liked things to be very not well done because he's in a big rush. He can't sit down for a long, well-cooked, you know, well-done meal because if it's well done, they might catch him. So again, what's the story of Ben Dinai? It's not clear to me why Ben Dinai is mentioned in Chazal. But if you go to Josephus, I understand why Ben Dinai is mentioned. So in other words, if you if you just look when the Chazal and the Gemara's and the Mishnah that I mentioned, I don't know why Ben Dinai is coming up here as a day. I know he's a robber. What does it mean that he was he was he was going against the Cates? He was rebelling against the Romans. Where is it? There's no. I don't. I, I haven't found. Maybe you'll know. I haven't found an example about why Ben Dinai will be brought up because I only know he's a robber. <laughs> we also have a, a Mishnah that tells us Gemara that tells us that. Uh, so normally, if somebody is captured, the, if, a, if a woman is captured, you don't necessarily assume that she was violated. Why? Because sometimes they want to they sell her. The value would be there and uh, if, if she was not. But the example that Chazal give us is that not by the wife of Ben Dinai. If she was captured, there'd be no value. Why? Because he was condemned to death. He was always on the run, right? From the authorities, the authorities wanted to kill Ben Dinai. So therefore, since he was always wanted, he had like a wanted poster, the top 10, you know, wanted men in Israel. So his wife would never have that same chazaka. She would be assumed to be violated because of the fact that there was no need to give her back to her husband because the husband was a wanted man. He's going to be killed the moment they catch him. Right? So that's another example. But literally, I don't, I don't think there's anything else. However, if you look at Josephus, Josephus talks about somebody named Eliezer Bendineos. I don't know if that's Ben Dinai, but it sounds close enough. So he says that this Eliezer Ben Dineus was um, revolted against the Romans. 
and he gathered people together and they made a whole uh, cacophony, cacophony against the Romans and, 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 and was, uh, was uh, you know, I guess a prominent rebeller, sort of like Bar Kochba, not nowhere obviously near as famous, but that, that I think is what this matter is a reference to. This thing that I, that I see in Josephus. Um, not 100% clear, but that's, that, 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 that is where my Natia is on, on, on Bendy Night. All right, so the, in these four examples, we have people that went against the cakes when it was supposed to be, and they tried to be they tried to bring it shorter to make it when it was palatable for them, but not when God wanted. So if we have the four shvuas, Rabbi Nia is saying that Rabbi four shvuas are to be um, parallel to the four times when the Jewish people attempted to get the redemption at the wrong time. Good? All right. So now, as I mentioned, um, oh, I should mention one more thing. I mean, I, I, you won't hold it against me. I mentioned it again on Tisha B'Av. If I haven't mentioned it in the last years, I don't remember. But in, in, in the first Kina, in the first Kina that we that we have, right, by Lulaza Kalira, we say on the daytime, of Tishuba, we say Shabbos many right? Uh, that's the this, it's the first one of the day, I think. And over there, we talk about that the Mea Lazar Ben Dinai. They 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 uh, what do you call? It? They um, they were uh, calling out Hashem's name. I don't know where he gets this from. I have no idea. I don't know the source. I have to look it up. Maybe there's some explanation. Maybe this is from Josephus that I just mentioned. I don't know. But this would be an example from Rebeleza Khalir. Again, we don't know who that was, but definitely, most likely, not, you know, from the Tanan, but rather uh, later, but not medieval earlier than that. So there we have an example of Rebeleza Ben Denai. Now, instead of being a robber whose wife could be violated, who has a quick need for an oven because he has to rob, has now been turned into a, somebody who's uh, a, a, a revolt against the, Against the Romans, he's like an equal of Bar Kajba. And in his day, they called out an Hashem's name. So we have a full rehabilitation if we're talking about the same person. All right. Now I want to go to the Merishan Huma. The Merishan Huma Parshas Nayak says that by Nayak, if you remember, Nayak had to stay in the Teva. Right? Nayak stayed in the Teva until when? Until Hashem told him, Same in our Teva, leave. Nayak stayed in the Teva. He knew that. The land was dry. How did he know? He had birds. A little birdie told him. How did it tell him? First, he sent out the raven, right? The raven didn't want to go. Halak Mashoy, right? But then he sends out the Yaina. One time the Yaina comes back with a tree, right? And then the second time, doesn't come back. But does Nayak leave the Teva? No, he stays in the Teva. Says the Medish San Huma. Same in our Teva. So the Pasuk tells us, I'm going to watch the words of the king. I'm going to adhere to the ordinances of the king. I am swearing you. I'm making you. I'm adjuring you. I'm making you swear to me. If the kingdoms that you're subjugated under give you big problems, 
do not rebel against them. Whatever they are being gazer on you. You have to watch the ordinances of the king. Gazer on you that you can't keep the Torah in the mitzvahs. Then I'll tish my law. Then you can't listen to them. Ella amar law anipi melshmar. Then you tell them I'm watching the ordinances of the king, capital king. I'm watching the ordinances of Hakadosh Baruch. So what do we see from this madrash? One shivua, one shivua. What is that shivua? Not to rebel against the nations. And the madrash doesn't say it exactly that kuma, but it seems to be implying that that's why Nech didn't leave the table. Hashem told him go to the Teva, so he stays in the Teva. So Hashem tells him to leave the Teva. Yes? Okay. There's another Tanchuma. This Tanchuma appears in Tvarim. And, and um, this Tanchuma needs to be thought of. And I have an approach to this Tanchuma. My own approach, I think I'm right. But if you disagree, you let me know. All right, so the Pasik tells us that Rav Lachem Sevesar Azeh, the, the how many days the Jews were traveling in the, in the Midbar, and the Medrash Tanchuma now goes on the Pasuk and Shirashim that we've been discussing. The Pasuk appears three times. It's Bratis, Kamenes, Rishalayim, the Tzvoyes, Abayolis, Asada, and what? In Te'iru, Bim Ta'iru, Esahava, Ashatachat. You shouldn't adjure the love. You shouldn't arouse the love until it's ready, until its time has come, says the Medrash. You know, these three Shavuos that Gersh was Mashbia in Shira Shirim to the Jewish people, you know what they are? In other words, not the Pshat. In Shira Shirim, the Pshat is don't arouse the love. That Medrash, like Amar and Subas, and all the various projections we've mentioned, is explaining what that Shavu is. Says the Medrash. You know what these Shavuos are? Achas, Shishbia Gersh Bok is a social yigal or Don't reveal the time of the redemption. The Achas, Shal Yidchak don't push off the redemption. Don't rebel against the nations. So now we have three shuas, right? Which are from those six in Subas, but not all the first three, right? Because we're not here talking about adjuring the nations, not to be Mishtabad Yisrael Yosemidai. That one we didn't mention. Agreed? That one we don't see here, right? So what do we have over here in this Spanish rabbi? So two from the second three and one from the first three. Good? Says the Medrash. God says to the Jewish people, If you're going to be But if not, I'm going to essentially be matter you to the guy that they could eat you up and destroy you. That is the Medrash Tankuma in Devar. And you say, okay, this is Medrash Tankuma. It's pretty, pretty strong. It doesn't even include a Shvua that the Goyim shouldn't be Mishtabed us too much. Right? Pretty strong. Pretty sharp Medrash. Except that there's another Medrash in the Tankuma in Devar, literally right before this. So this is section Dalit in Devar. This is section Gimel in Devar. And here's the Medrash that I think has to be read together. I think the Medrash is deliberately putting it together, even though it doesn't connect them together. I think it has to be read this way. The Medrash tells us that Yoyav battling Edom. Now, everyone knows the Gemara about Basra. 
the famous Gemara. The Gemara says that Yayav went and he was fighting out with Amalek and he killed all the males in Amalek. And he comes back home, right? We're, we're getting now to Adar Beis. We're going to be learning Parsha Zohar soon. And he comes home and David Melch says, No, what'd you do? He says, Oh, I killed all the males of Amalek. And David says to him, What's the new thing? Like, why'd you kill all the males? You need Timcha Zohar Amalek, kill all the males of Amalek. That's not how you read it. It's Timcha Zecher Amalek. Now, in his they must have done Timcha Zecher, you know, all the different things, right? Yeah, it's like, really? It's Timcha Zecher Amalek? I said, oh, I should have also killed the woman. I didn't know. Barbasa, <laughs> before what you got up to. So it's a uh, Chafalos. Yeah, yeah. So the Gemara says that um, you ever incensed? He didn't know? Imagine the Jenny. He didn't know. He's incensed. He doesn't know. So what does he do? The Gemara says, he goes to his Rebbe. He goes to his, his Cheder Rebbe, and he's going to kill him. The Gemara says, he comes to his Cheder Rebbe. He's like, you're dead, man. He's, well, <laughs> I haven't seen you since that graduation. What's the problem? She says, how do you read this Pasuk in uh, Kisete about Tamalek? He says, it says, Tamalek. So now Yerim is still incensed. You should have just said, look, you're a bad student, right? You didn't listen to your Rebbe. You ever told you, Tim Chazeka, you walked by Zachar, you're a bad student. He says, no, I'm going to kill you. He says, why? He says, you're a bad Rebbe. You let me walk out of class. I didn't know the chat. The Gemara here, the context is the Rebbe has to know his students. He has to be able to teach them. He has to understand that where they are in the class. And if he doesn't understand where they are in the class, then what's the value of going to the education? I said, the Gemara there discusses how many students could be in a class and what kind of Rebbe should you hire for the students? Why don't you have a better rep? Should you get rid of the first rep? This is all that Gemara over there. That's the wider context. But in this story, the Gemara has two different opinions. Some say, yeah, he killed the rep because he let him walk out of class and not know the child. And the others say, no, he didn't kill him because the rep tried to convince him and said, look, the Pazik says about people like me that I'm cursed, so don't kill me. I'm already cursed. Either way, what we learn from this Gemara is a terrible thing. If a rep has a student who doesn't understand what's going on, the rep has no idea. There's also a famous story, I believe it's Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, or maybe, maybe somebody else. I believe it's Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky that supposedly he, um, he will never forgive his cheder Rabbi, who, uh, who had accused him of doing something that, was in a, that he had not done. He said if the Rebbe makes such an accusation, not understand, that in fact was entirely untrue, like he's not worthy of forgiveness. I'm not sure if that was the right one, but somebody, again, it goes to the point you know, there's also a famous story that the Vilna Gon would only stand up for his Cheder Rebbe. Did everybody else I could do without? The Cheder Rebbe, that, the ones who taught me the basics, that, that those are worthy of uh, of everything. They gave him the foundation. All right. So in this Medrash, this is all background to the Medrash. What I want to bring up in this Medrash. The Medrash says that, yeah, he went to go fight an Adar. It's not the same Gemara as the Mar Barbas. It's a different version, different story maybe. I don't know. So the Mar says that he went to go fight the Edoim, again, the descendants of uh, Esau, Amalek, etc. And they say to him, Achutzpah, you're fighting us? You can't come and fight us. Says, what do you mean? So the measure says like this. Um, so I, I made a mistake. So it's not Edoim, it's Aram Narayim. He wants to go fight against Aram Narayim. Aram Narayim is who? Aram Narayim is Lavan. That makes more sense. The Aram Narayim 
is the descendant of Lavan. Aram Narayim is Aram, not Edom, just to be clear. So that was a different war. And I, I don't know why in my head they just sort of jive. I was thinking Yayav and wars. All right. So Yayav went to go fight against Aram Narayim. And then Aram Narayim said to me, you can't fight against us. Don't you remember our great-grandfather, Lavan, made a treaty with Yaakov right before Yaakov went home, right? And Parshish Vayetze, he makes a treaty, right? That's where we get an Aramaic word in the Chumash, right? Lavan calls it Gar Sadusa, and Yaakov calls it Gal Eid, right? The Eid HaGal Azeb, the mound of rocks. So the Gal was an aid, was a witness to the treaty. That What was the treaty? That ya- Yaakov wasn't going to be marrying a woman on, on Rachel and Leah, and, and uh, he wasn't going to be attacking, and Lavan wouldn't be attacking him, and they went off for Shalim. But now Yehav is coming to attack Aram Naharayim. And the, uh, the Arameans say, don't attack us. You're not allowed to. There's a treaty, says the Medrash. Says the Medrash like this. I'm There was a treaty that Yaakov made with us. So what did Yag, what did the Yayav say back? That there was a tonight. There was this treaty between the two of them and it did hold. Ella, Shehem But the matter says, but the treaty no longer holds. Why not? Because they were over it first. How did they over it first? Bilam, you heard of Bilam. Where did Bilam come from? Meram Narayim. Right? The puzzle tells us. Bilam ben Barmi Pesar, Aram Naharayim. The Kalalek of Bilam came from Aram Naharayim. So since your great-granddaddy Bilam tried to destroy us in violation of the treaty that Lavan and Yaakov had made, so so therefore the treaty was already violated. So I no longer have to hold to the treaty either. And therefore Yoyav, with the Sanhedrin's agreement, goes out and destroys Aram Na, The Arameans are there in Aram Naharayim. On the basis of the fact and keep this in mind because this is going to come up again and again between the Sat Maravs and Rav Hirsch versus all the Rabbanim who lean to what we call today the Mitzrach and the Chavitzian on this precise point, which I believe is right here in the Med. None of them bring down this Medrash of the Raya, but I think it's an Eisen around. The Medrash is bringing down this story about Yahweh going to fight the Arameans. And how could he do it? It's again violation of the oath that the great granddaddies had taken. Yes, says the Maddish, but the Sanhedrin advised you that he's allowed to. Why? Because the Arameans already violated their oath. And right next to it, we have the three oaths about that they're not supposed to be Megal the Kates or be Kates or be murdered on the Malchites. Perhaps. The, the the being married up so you might say back to me, which would be a good answer and maybe i thought of it in the past but that's why no one brings it down is that this medish tanhuma does not bring down a shvua about not rebelling against the nations and the nation i'm sorry it brings down the shvua not allowed to rebel against the nation but it doesn't bring down the shvua that the nations are not allowed to be mishtabed you yes and me die doesn't bring that down so it's not a right i take it back Take it back. Um, but what I would say is, is that we will see the big debate about whether or not you are we're bound by a Shavuah that the other side is not keeping to. And that's going to be a big conversation 
as we will see, as we move along between those who say that, what do you mean? The Shavuos are independent, not interdependent. That's going to be a big debate. Are they independent or interdependent? But what we see from this medicine, what we see clearly is that if somebody violates a Shavuos, it's certainly not going to be binding on the other side of the Shavuos. So the question is going to be whether or not these three Shavuos or the six Shavuos or the various different Shavuos but specifically the ones that say that you're not allowed, the nations are not allowed to restore the Israelis to die, and the ones that say that the Jews are not allowed to be murdered in Malchus, are these Shavuos independent or are they interdependent? All right. Huh? So if they're independent, each Shavuos stands on its own. So you're not allowed to rebel against the nations, and the nations are not allowed to be restored to the die. But even if the nations are restored to the die, you have to take it. Oh, it's a good question. So we mentioned this before that the the it's a very odd shvua to say that the three times the the, the, the pasuk tells us the shvua seems to be to be the daughters of Jerusalem. What does that have to do with the nations? It's talking about the Jews. So it's a fundamental question on on how this how this drash works. I don't have a good answer for it. But fundamentally, as a matter of shot, it would not seem, like you're pointing out, that has anything to do with the guy. They all seem to be related to the Jews, which is a fair question. Um, I what do you call it? There's uh, in the Yatris on, on, on Shavuot, which I don't know if anybody here says. I certainly no longer say them, because uh, nobody says them. Or at least I haven't found anybody. But when I grew up, we always said them. Beezy says them? Yeah, all right. So maybe Beezy says them. All right. So if anybody wants to say Yertus, you know where to go. So the the um, the the there's a stanza there that says, Rosham Isser Bitzkoy Sechem. Right? I, I, I gave you a, 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 a prohibition, right, to your armies. Right? And I, I adjured you to remember this that what I, I, I adjured you to remember this warning not to use your armies. What he means, presumably, he's referring to the Shavuot of not rebelling against the nations. So, this would be an example, also, at least here. I don't want to say that's an example for sure, but he's just referring to like one Shavuot. We also saw the Medishan after one Shavuot about not rebelling. All right, that. Shows you now from Chazal, we have one, we have two, we have three, we have four, we have six. We haven't found five, but maybe one day we'll find. Those are the variations of the shoes, but you get the basic gist. The basic gist is don't rebel. Don't go up like a wall. right? Don't push the redemption. That's the basic gist. And there happens to be a lone plaintiff shua that maybe is there, maybe it's not, that the nation shouldn't be mishabed us too much. So, so without getting into uh, too much of uh, the Chabad approach to things, just to say on this specific point, we're 100% encouraged to um, do Torah and mitzvahs to bring about the redemption, but saying that we should do terror mitzvah to bring about the redemption is different 
than saying, I'm Mashiach, right? Or Mashiach is going to come on this and this day. There have been many stories over the centuries of both messiahs, which were created by the fact that people attempted to say, like, Mashiach is coming now, today. Therefore, we must do X, Y, and Z in order to make that happen. That's very different than saying, learn more tire, learn more mitzvahs. As you become a more spiritual person, you get on a higher level, Mashiach's going to come. That's one aspect of it. There's a second aspect of it, which is part and parcel of this whole topic, which um, we will eventually get to, which is how much of the redemption is dependent um, on our action or how much of the redemption is precisely dependent on our inaction. That is to say, without sort of giving away all that stuff that we're going to come at the end to, is there a need on the part of the Jewish people to first show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that they want a redemption for the redemption to happen? Or is it precisely the opposite, the more abject, the more despondent, the more depressed, the more desolate the Jewish people become, that's when they become Roy for redemption. That's another aspect. There's a third aspect, which we'll also get to, which is how much of the redemption is only the only way that we have our struggle. Is the land of Israel only going to be realized with the redemption? Or is the land of Israel able to be realized without redemption. Can you have, as we have today, a non-Messianic situation where we control the land of Israel? This was a question that was never thought of in the times of Hazal, because it literally never happened like that. So every time that we had the land of Israel was through a redemptive process, through a process that was prophesied, through a process that was given scriptural sanction. Whereas today we have the land of Israel without a messianic process, without scriptural sanction in an obvious way. Of course, every side to the debate shows their proofs, and, and we'll touch on that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, remember, the, 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 the goals is only meant to be 70 years. They were told to go back up. Yeah. So in terms of the shift, that must be a celestial name that's brought down, or is that someone who has been appointed previously that does what's going on? It's a separate uh, topic kind of question, but the, the, the short answer on that is again, without getting into any specific topics for which, uh, you know, Chabad has very specific positions on, um, Mashiach is. You look at Maimonides' formulation, which is the simplest way to read it. You could look at the end of Maimonides, literally the last, the last chapter and verse in in uh, in, uh, in his last book. Right at the end, he he spends the last part talking about Mashiach, and he says Mashiach is a, a warrior, you know, an observant Jew, and he gathers in the people and makes them righteous. He conquers, you know, the land. That's the Mashiach. So Mashiach is not some sort of supernatural force. It's a regular person. Ah, good point. That's a very good point. And that we will get to. That 
we will get to that. Eventually. Yeah, sorry about that. No, thanks. Then we're gonna to get to that too. That this is exactly what I'm gonna get, get to. Yeah, this is gonna be a massive topic in the stopper, um, um, you know, approach about whether or not we went up by a wall. Not in the 40s. That was not when we went up like a wall. That's when we maybe we rebelled against the nation. Right, but in the in the first Aliyah, in the 1880s, 1910, 1920, and then in the second Aliyah. And then what about the, you know, the San Remo Conference when the League of Nations, which is the precursor to the United Nations, allowed the Jewish people to, 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 to come back to their land, right? In the, uh, the Balfour Declaration, the white papers from the British, which prevented Jewish emigration, the illegal Aliyah in the 30s and the 40s. All of that is we'll, we'll get to. And these are obviously massive topics, um, each of their own, as to whether or not these are examples of us going up like a wall or us going up with permission of the nations, not rebelling. Each one of these is, is debated hotly. All right, but I, I just want to do one more citation to get to the medieval era so we can start getting into, you know, focusing on all the rabbis throughout the last thousand years and how they've dealt with the three Umais. This thing I'm about to say is a massive riot from the Satmarov, right? The massive riot from the Satmarov, it shows you his, his, his grasp very widely of, 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 uh, of uh, sources to support its position. And we will have to see whether or not it is a substantive proof or not. <coughs> so the Ramam in the Igeris Tema, what is the Igeris Tema? The epistle to Yemen. He wrote a letter to the Yemenites. I mentioned this before, I believe. Maybe some of you remember that the Yemenites were incredibly obsessed with the Rambam. Right? They went to the point that what? That the Ramban in his... And now I remember what I mentioned. I mentioned that we were doing secular studies so probably, whatever, eight months ago, nine months ago. Um, the Ramban in the letter that he wrote to the rabbis in Provence, who were thinking about maybe um, um, they had a whole big debate about whether or not they're going to ban the Rambam or not. So there were two rabbis in Provence, Rabbi Avram Ben Ahar and Rabbi Yaina, who wanted to ban the Rambam, at least the Sefer Marinabukim and Sefer Ahmad, and the, and the Rambam was very against. So the Rambam in his letter wrote that there's no way you're going you're gonna to be able to be successful there. Like I'll give you an example. His fame goes so far wide that in Yemen, they've changed the Kaddish. They say, Like that's how far they're obsessed with the Ramah. Now, to give you even more, I don't know this for sure, but I know this anecdotally. It was a great Yemenite rabbi. A great Yemenite rabbi. If you ever come to my Sukkot Sukkot, You'll see on my picture of the walls of the various rabbis who are forgotten in the mainstream. One of them is this rabbi, his name is Yesen Kaba. Everybody here who has a Morinabukim from Mozart or Cook has a copy that was translated by Yesen Kaba, who translated it from Arabic. He was a tremendous translator. He translated the Ramah Spiritual Mission. I brought this up a few weeks ago on Friday night. We discussed 
<coughs> the shape of the menorah, because I brought up the Kafach Bersha Mishnah. He translated again from Arabic. Bersha Kafach was the, not only a great translator, which he was, he also translated beside the Gurns and Munis but he was not only a great translator, he was also a great posek. He was one of the greatest halachic decisors of the last generation. And he was the preeminent Yemenite posek. He sat on the great Bezdin in Jerusalem. On that court sat the Bavad Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Shalmel Yashiv. Great rabbis sat with him. I don't know this to be true for sure. I can't say it's a true story, but I heard this. That when it was going to get appointed on the court, they said to him, you have to promise to use the Shulchan Aruch, not just the Rambam, right? Because in his family, in the tradition, they're Maimonidean. The Rambam beats the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch doesn't always go with the Rambam. Shulchan Aruch goes sometimes, right? Remember, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch uses the Rambam, the Rosh, and the Rip. Sometimes he doesn't always go with the Rambam. So Rabbi Kapach on his own may have just gone with the Rambam, except for the court for Israel, you have to go with the Shulchan Aruch. I don't know if it's a legitimate story or not. I have no idea. But they only said this. I'm trying to give you the flavor of the story because of the, how incredibly close the Yemenites felt to my mom. But this letter, this epistle to Yemen, the Yemen, the letter that the Rambam wrote to the Yemenites is before any of them. They were not close to him yet at all. They wrote him a letter because he was already the powers that had existed in Bavel, the yeshivas in Bavel, were no longer. Yes, there were still some Rosh Yeshiva who were still there. They were still fighting. And you see various letters that the Rambam wrote to defend himself against the Babylonian rabbis. They were, you know, like a mouse going against an elephant. You don't have much of a chance. The Rambam was a colossus, right? The greatest of the great rabbis. He was well known throughout the entire North Africa, the Middle East, Europe. Even as I mentioned before, the Balayatesis quote the Rambam only three times in shots, but a few times. You can't catch him in a Google search, though, right? Because they quote him each time differently. One time it's Rabbeinu Moshe Ben Maimon, one time it's the Rambam, and one time it's the Maimoni. So you won't ever be able to find it in a search, but if you come across those three times, you'll see three times in shots that the Rambam is quoted. But even the Balayatesis know about the Rambam. We're talking about somebody who, in the days before internet and before printing, it's like beyond, right? Somehow the Yemenites had heard of him already without having any relationship that we know of and wrote him a letter. The letter was because of the fact that they were at the time faced with a problem. The problem was they had somebody who was claiming to be a Shiach and he was changing Judaism, who was combining with Islam, who was making problems for them. And the authorities, they were going against the Jews. And it was a difficult situation. So they write a letter to my mom, what should they do? And the Rambam writes back to them that it's not a new thing. He says that in the days of his father, Rabbi Maimon, back in Spain, where the, where the Rambam came from, there was in Cordoba, in those days, <laughs> there was somebody who came up there and he started saying that he's the Mashiach, the Mashiach's going to come, and he was making signs. His name was Ibn Aryeh. And caused a lot of people to, 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 to stumble. And then he says there was another story even before Ibn Aryeh, somebody in France, uh, somebody in France in a city called Lunon. He also called tens of thousands of Jews to believe that he was Shia. It's not a new thing. So the fact they have a guy in Yemen who's rising up there and telling he's Shia, it happens every generation. He says 
This is not a new thing. Don't be confused. Don't don't you know? Don't lose hope, but don't follow this guy. And here's the key line. He says, with divine inspiration. And unfortunately for our nation, that as the exile takes longer and longer and longer, there are going to be people who are going to try to get us excited for redemption when not in its proper time. And they're going to cause tremendous losses for the Jewish people. Yes, the is cautious, and they're going to cause us big pain. But therefore, he's here pain. He swore, he warned us not to do this, not to get caught up in this kind of a trap. And he swore to the, he made the Jewish people swear as a means of a parable. This was how Shlomo Melch warned us of this problem. He said to him, you shouldn't arouse the love before the desired time. You should keep the shvua. You should watch the shvua. You should not attempt to get the exile over before its proper time. And don't try to arouse love before its proper time. And what did we see from this Rambam? We see from this Rambam that the Rambam is bringing down Shal now, what do we say? We, if you recall, and this, this will conclude, you recall that we say that the Rambam doesn't bring down the mitzvah of what? Mitzvah of Aliyah. And we say that the Megillah Esther said that why is that? Because the Rambam holds that there's no longer mitzvah of Aliyah. Why not? Because of the Shalosh Wood. Remember that Megillah Esther? We bashed him and we pushed him out. And we said it can't be right. And all the Achrenim said, what are you talking about? Megillah Esther, you're wrong. And what was the most Eisen arrived that, of course, the Miguel Esther is not correct? The fact that the Rambam brings down all the halakhas about moving to Eretz Yisrael, even ones that are going to be violating a mitzvah in the Torah. Like, for example, an Evet, Kenani can force the master to make Aliyah, even though there's a mitzvah in the Torah. You have to work them forever. How could that be? If they have a mitzvah that could be blown away by an Evet Kenani wanting to make Aliyah? How could that be blown away if not that you're dealing with a mitzvah itself? A mitzvah of Aliyah. And we pointed out that the Rambam is with the Rambam and he holds that there's a mitzvah to make Aliyah. And we gave answers for the Rambam. Some said they asked whether the Rambam felt that this is a mitzvah that underlies Kula or underlies so many mitzvahs. So he doesn't count mitzvahs that are sort of uh, in the very fabric of things. He only counts specific mitzvahs. He doesn't count the mitzvah to be holy or the mitzvah to be perfect with you. He doesn't hold of such mitzvahs as not that they're not mitzvahs. They're not 613 mitzvahs. 613 mitzvahs are specific mitzvahs. Or others said that the reason he doesn't count is because it's included in the genocidal war against the seven nations. Obviously, you would get a knock out the seven nations. That's when you're going to live in the land of Israel. We said different approach to explain my mind. But this brings the Nicholas to back to life, right? Here, it seems like the Rambam and the Garris Taman is bringing down the Shal Shruas. So we'll leave you with this cliffhanger. And in fact, this is a very big proof of the Tzatmarav. He says, the Rabbah didn't have to mention the Shalosh Woods ever again. He mentioned it in the Geras Taman that he wrote to the Yemenite Jew. Now, the question I leave you with is this. Is that a fear postulation of the Tzatmarav? 
because he mentioned that the Negeris Payman in a way of providing solace to the Yemenite Jew, is that the same as putting it in his Mishnah Torah? In other words, if he felt that it had halachic precedent, do you think that the Rambam should have mentioned the Shoshuas in the Mishnah Torah? Or in a letter of comfort that he was writing to the Yemenite Jews, which was not a published letter, it's a halachic letter, it was a letter that he had written to the Yemenite Jews, where in the course of a many paragraphs, he says to them, don't follow this person who says he's the Messiah. These things happen from generation to generation. So many people have died as a result of these false messiahs. Don't get caught up. Don't get ensnared. And this is what Solomon, in his great wisdom, was warning us again. Notice the word, warning us again. Now what? He was swearing that the Jewish people shouldn't arouse love for it is proper time. Is this a halachic Statement? Is this dicta? Is this just simply, as they say, words of comfort to help the Yemenite Jews? This, again, will be a big debate between the Safarov and the others who disagree. All right, Ashkar. Well, maybe it was only applicable to.